0: We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed alive, active, powerful, gracious, and reigning. And we thank you that we join the people here in this small town and people all over the country and all over the world to acknowledge and celebrate you, Jesus, the resurrecting King. So we pray you release the presence of your spirit. We've prayed and sung for that. We ask for more of your spirit that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. For it is his life we live. It is through his life and death and resurrection that we live forever, and it's in his name that we pray. Would you pray with me, please, the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know the name, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Joey, change the plan. And could I have the scripture, please? And could you put up verses 24 to 25, please? One of the good gifts of preaching three times in the morning is I get to do better, I hope. And uh, this morning, uh, the first service, something really registered, and I wanna, I'd like to segue. So for our guests, we're talking in this uh, for our two-year period about flourishing in exile. And by that, we mean Christendom, as we have understood it and known it for about 14, 16 centuries, is over, and in light of this new post-Christendom era, the churches have been moved, the Christian churches have moved to the margins, and what I've been suggesting is that's actually a wonderful place to be, because from the margins we have a chance to influence, to, be, to really be Christ-like, to bring the goodness of the kingdom in a, in a very interesting time and season. So I, I'm trying to frame this positively, but I want to I uh, uh, just push a little bit this morning. Um, you'll, you'll see where this is going in a couple minutes, but at the first service I said something that just really clicked in the room. So look at these, these scripture verses here. This is part of the passage. I'm going to read chapter 113 through chapter 2, verse 3. And in chapter 123, St. Peter writes, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is these words from St. Peter are so critical. So let me just remind you of the context. So I said this two weeks ago, remind you. The people are being being pushed out of their homes. They are fleeing somewhere between 535 and 1,000 miles. They're running with whatever they can gather, and they're running far away for safety. So an example from 535 miles is from Pella to Canada. So they're grabbing what they can, and they run away. And to these people who are wondering now, where's this Jesus kingdom stuff? We're being persecuted. Life is just really hard. Well, let me tell you, the the book of 1 Peter was written about 62 to 65 A.D., which is 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. This is one of the earliest writings of the Christian New Testament. And in this season, he's trying to give really strong, hopeful words to people who are just going, what in the world is going on? We're being exiled, persecuted. Terrible things are happening. Now these words. I, many of you know I'm, I'm not much of a um, social media person. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be because of all the negativity and the pain. But I thought this week I'd do a little bit of investigating uh, for a number of reasons. So I just for fun, on Thursday and Friday, I spend a little time uh, looking at different things. I'm talking about the words. We are here a short time or like grass, glory is like the flowers of a field, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the words of the Lord endure forever. So in one Twitter feed, and I'm not gonna say it because it's, it's obscene, but a famous person speaking about another uh, political person, and the headlines were, she must be, the word starts with an F, ends with a G, idiot. Now I want you to think about that. Now, in our social media, incredibly obscene, angry things are just spoken all over about all kinds of people. Think about these words. Now listen to this: In two generations, no one will remember you. Think I'm kidding? Tell me about your great grandparents. What they look like? Where they live? What was your social status? T- tell, me, tell me about your great-grandpa and grandma. Can you tell me anything? I would guess almost no one in this room can name, in the other room or at home, we can't remember about our great-grandparents. Now listen to me carefully. In two generations, no one's going to remember anyone in this room. And someone, anyone can use obscene language on the Internet, and in a short time, except for memory, it's gone. But listen... But these words have been spoken now for thousands of years. And when we're all gone, they're still going to be here. And they're still going to be true. So where I'm telling you that is because I want you to understand the power of the words that St. Peter is giving us as we think about exile. So here's the where I want to end up. Last slide, please, Joey. This is where I'd like, if possible, at the end of our teaching time, I'd like to ask for some conversation. And so this is, this is where I'm going I'm to lift up two words, hope and holiness, this morning. And so my request would be, if you're, if you're comfortable, if you're willing, at the end of the teaching time, could we engage each other just a little bit, if you're comfortable, with this question? How could living with hope and holiness encourage others in this very difficult season? Season of COVID, of all this racial, uh, racial uh, hurt and brokenness, uh, the p- political, all, all, all this stuff. How could living with hope and holiness encourage others? So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to focus on chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to read through it all, though, and come back to a couple quick slides. So can you open your text, your own, I hope you bring in your own Bibles, but if not, we have it on the screen. Chapter 1, verses 13, 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. I want to focus on verses 13, 14, 15, but I'm going to read it all. So the text is, be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And if you have your own Bibles, remember, chapter 1, verse 3, he gave us a new birth into a living hope. Chapter 113, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Chapter 1, verse 21, your faith and hope are in God. So back to 113. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when, when Jesus Christ is revealed, that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, now look at this next phrase, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners. So, chapter 1, verse 1 Chosen, elect, exiles. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But you're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, it was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Jesus you believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth, here's the purpose, a purpose clause, here's why, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk. Here's the purpose. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, people of God. This is the word of God. Okay, back to one thirteen through fifteen. We have it back, back again, Joey. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Look at the phrase: set your minds. Make sure your minds are alert and fully sober. Set on the hope. Now, can you look up for me a second? This is. Early on in 1 Peter, it's called the indicative mood, which is just, just sharing information. But all of a sudden, he changes to what's called the imperative mood. And all of a sudden, it's not like, well, would you, would you think about putting your minds alert and would you think about being fully sober? No, it's imperative. So now, this is the one who was with Jesus. I want you to think through Peter's life. He was with Jesus at the transfiguration. He was with Jesus at the crucifixion. He was with Jesus at the resurrection. He was with Jesus at the ascension. So what he's saying now is, this is someone who knows Jesus. Now now he gets real strong. In the Greek, it's so strong. Set your minds. Be smart. Think. 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 Be alert. It's that strong. It just, boom! And then he says, be fully sober. This is it, so time out. One of my concerns in the time we're living in is, is there is so much noise, and it's so loud, and it's so confusing, and it's so... And so what he says to people who are in exile, who are on the fringes, he says in the imperative mood, come on, get this sucker working. You gotta Think. Set your hope, think, fully alert, sober, not drunk. Think, use your mind. Why is it so important? Now watch this now. The heart is the first. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The heart is the center place from which we live. Everything is connected to the heart. And what is about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things, the Proverbs say. Who can understand it? From out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what he says to a persecuted, exilic people, okay, now, we're gonna start now. I'm changing the mood. We're not indicative anymore. Now we are imperative. You gotta fully engage your head and your heart. Now, why is this so important? Remember the sentence I used last week? We used in two sentences over and over last week. Here they are. What you think about tomorrow matters because your vision of the future depends on how you understand The present. Make it simple. How you think about what's coming affects how you live today. And so what he says here is, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, strong, set your hope on what? On the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what he's saying is, the future matters because what you think about then affects how you live today. And what I suggested last week was, when I just live so focused on now, when I listen to commentators who, of, of every kind, of every stripe, of every, every persuasion, are just screaming and throwing bombs at each other constantly, the words from St. Peter to an exiled people is, get this right. Set your hope, set your mind, be fully alert on Jesus. On what Jesus? Jesus is coming back. This week I'm involved with another suicide situation, some very, very difficult Painful, painful things. And as I listened, I kept trying to say to these loved ones in hard times and places, you've got to think about the future. You know this. We believe, Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. It talks about in the passage, Jesus will make all things right. One day, all will be made right. Yes? So it means all injustice, all abuse, all brokenness. It will all, it, it will be right. But what comes before that? And the passage talks about that, and we'll get there. He comes to judge. Your Father will judge each person impartially. So let's just talk about judgment. For those who are in Christ, in though, what happens when we stand before Jesus, the King, on Judgment Day? He will say to us who are in Christ, what will he say to us? Welcome home. Welcome home. You're in the family. Praise God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your future is unbelievable, and He'll give us rewards according to what we have done. But we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone boast. So let me talk about that. Why is this such a big deal? I'm gonna to get to the passage in just a second. There's talking about a sacrifice. In fact, Joy, give me the slide. My request slide number uh, number five. I'm going to keep going. I'll come back to the passage. I just want you to see a couple things real quick here. So I want you to observe three things. You got me, Joe? There we go. What might motivates us to a living hope? Christ is coming to make all things right, to reign with justice and love and all that. What, and what is it about unobservable holiness? Because the text says in verse 14, listen, be holy in all that you do. So, what do you see in this passage? I'm going to go really fast through it. We'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. We see God's character. We have a loving Father who judges impartially. Judgment, as I just described, for those who are in Christ is a glorious thing. For those who are not, it's a horrible thing. And then behind it is sacrifice. I'm going to talk about sacrifice now. What motivates us toward a living hope? A living hope? It's what Jesus, what Jesus is bringing. And why do we live with holiness? Because of his character, judgment, and sacrifice. Let me just let me be a little bit brutal to make sure you understand why we have this living hope. Why do we have this access to God who loves us? Because the scripture says: apart from what Jesus has done, listen to me, we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. And later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, you hear these words: God opposes the proud i give you a word picture. So all these loud, proud voices that are just screaming in our culture today, with all respect, I would say to the loud, angry, screaming voices, oh, you best be careful because God opposes proud people. Can I say this? I don't want God mad at me. But let's talk about the sacrifice. So let's imagine now it's several thousand years ago. You're coming to worship. And so you come as a family, as a household, generational household, and you bring your lamb. You've got this beautiful little lamb that either you brought from your home or that you purchased. It has no blemish and no spots. And you walk up as a family, as a a multi-generational family, as a single person you join with others. You come here and you bring your lamb to me. I take your lamb, I carry it up onto the altar. I take a big knife about that long and I slit your lamb's throat and as that bleeding lamb is bleeding to death I capture the blood in big bowls and I take the blood of that lamb and I throw it on the altar and then I take hyssop, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean and I sprinkle you with blood and that means what? Your sins have been completely covered and paid for you are free from your sin. Do you understand how much love that takes? Jesus willingly got on the altar. Let people he created by a few words kill him. And that same one who loved that deep will come back and the scripture that we're going to read says he will judge impartially. He will judge honestly. So someone said to me, what would I do in my family if someone killed one of my children? I don't know what I would say. But I remember back several years ago, a young, young man went into a church, with African-American folk in South Carolina, and shot and killed a whole number of people. And when he was arraigned, the fan members came to court and asked the judge to be lenient. I'm not sure I could do that, but they did. And I would guess beneath it, they believe that God will judge rightly one day. See, one day, all the, all's going to be made right. Everything will be made right. There'll be no suffering and no pain and no loss. So all this is in the back, in the back of Peter's mind as he's talking about chapter 1, 13 through 15. So, Joey, back to chapter 1, 13 through 15. Let's walk through it again. Chapter 1, 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert, imperative, think, 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 set your hearts, think, set your hope, your future looking, on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That means someday it's coming. So we, I met with someone yesterday about some stuff, and they just said, "I'm so impatient." And someone this morning said to me, "I'm so impatient." Well, one of the things the Lord does is He's teaching us to wait and to trust. Fair? So oftentimes, waiting periods are seasons to exercise faith and trust because there are purposes we know nothing of. You know the whole tapestry idea? You you have a piece of tapestry on top; it looks just beautiful. You turn underneath, and all these little threads and all these—it th- looks terrible. From our perspective, life looks like that. It just looks terrible. But someday, you're gonna be above. And you can see all that the Lord has been doing all these years and all, doing, this is what's crazy to me. This is crazy to me. The Lord God Almighty is working on every single person at the same time for purposes that are somehow united. He is working on every single, every single follower of Jesus. He is helping you become more like Jesus. And there's a specific way each of us is being transformed. But may I say this? I think this is true. Oftentimes, we are transformed through suffering, through hard times. Well, the text goes on. So he says you got this living hope through Christ as obedient children. Now look, he says, as obedient children, you're part of the family of God. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance. Look at verse 15. He said, verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all you do. Now look at that phrase. Be holy in all you do. So seven times in five chapters in this little letter, seven times he talks about our conduct. Now listen listen carefully now. If we live with this a living hope, we believe in the coming of Jesus and all that he promised and all that. If we understand that, we can say, "I want to live like Jesus." And he says, "First Peter says to people who are on the margins." And just to, just wait in about uh, three weeks, I get to chapter four, right around the election. First Peter, chapter four: Submit to the emperor, submit to the governor. So, oh, this is hard stuff. Now, let's not clean this up. You think we? You think? Democrats, Republicans, you think you don't like the opposite party here? Well, it ain't, it ain't like it was 2,000 years ago. See, this was the emperor 2,000 years ago. He was having a bad day. He said, find me 50 Christians, impale them with pitch, run a spike through them, stick them in the ground of my palace. Let's have an orgy as the Christians burn alive. We don't experience that. And to those people, those people, Peter's writing his letter. So he says to them, be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now I'm going to stop. Because next week I'm going to unpack holiness. So don't hear what it's not. It's not like, forgive me, I'm going to be sexist here. Don't drink. I don't date girls who drink. See, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't hang with girls who do. Boy, you <laughs> that, that, that's how old I am. That was, a, that was a famous saying when I was a kid. Oh, never mind. So, holiness is not keeping the rules. Holiness is he's good, she's bad. She's bad, he's good. We decided because they don't do it like we're supposed to do it. You're going to see next week starting in Leviticus chapter 19, holiness is fundamentally relational. It goes around love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the basis for holiness, to be holy, other. So we who were enemies became friends because of the otherness, the holiness, the separateness of God. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we who are unholy have become holy. It's just crazy, crazy thing. So it goes, he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So, what my, let me get a slide. What's that? Give me um, slide four, please, Joey. So, we're going to live with this reverent fear, but let me just talk for conduct for just a minute. And don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Holiness is not keeping rules. Will you say that out loud with me? Holiness is not keeping rules. What holiness is, according to Peter's letter to exiles, includes these things. Sanctification, big word meaning becoming more like Jesus in the power of the Spirit. So all the way through 1 Peter, starting in verse 17, he describes how people are becoming holy in what they do. There is sanctification, or becoming like Jesus. There is a sincere love. When, God speak, when the text speaks about God's love, the Greek word is agapao. It is an unconditional love. For God so loved the world. That's that love. But the word that he uses for us is phileo, Philadelphia. It's the love brothers and sisters are supposed to have for each other. I told you some weeks ago, early on in the church, in the, first, the first century, it was not the nuclear family that was so important. Do you remember I told you that? Did I? I can't remember which service I was called to. Let me tell you. The nu- so many embrace today the nuclear family. We should. But can I also say we make idols of the nuclear family? And there's some challenges around that. What about single people? What about never married? What about folks divorced? What about abuse? I mean, think, so this is really complicated. But in the first century, it wasn't father and mother, why? Because most fathers and mothers died when they were 30 years old or younger. So who was critical in the life of the church? What did St. Paul talk all the time in his letters? Brothers and sisters, that's your family. When persecution comes and we're running 535 miles from Pella to Canada and we're grabbing whatever we can because we got to get out of there because we want to live, you don't care who's running with you, they're on your team. Those are your brothers and sisters. And when we're in exile, instead of throwing bombs at each other, we need to say, How can I be holy as He is holy? So holiness is so relational. We'll come back to it next week. There's sincere love, a submission to unjust leaders, a willingness to suffer well, and caring for, caring for and serving others. And, and it's so subversive, and i get it in just a couple of weeks. Let me just jump ahead. So, he, so in chapter five, it talks about um, women are asked to uh, submit to their husbands. And wait, a woman can read it today and think, Ugh. you know, well, but, uh, let, let me tell you how subversive this was. In that time, The religion of the husband had to be the religion of the wife. So almost all of them were polytheists. Caesar was God, Apollo was God, Venus was God, Mars was God, and so whatever the husband's religion was, the wife's was. What does Peter do in this letter? He says to wives, basically real carefully, win them over to Jesus. How subversive is that? That's one of the reasons Romans hated Christian families. Because families were people who submitted to Christ and each other. We gotta go, I gotta move ahead. So let's go to slide six. So how do we live through this hope and holiness? We generously express a sincere love. So this love is Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. We voluntarily submit. We intentionally serve with kindness. Now let me stop for a second. Let's go back to chapter 1, joy 113. So what does he say in the imperative mood? Set your minds, be alert and fully sober. Now how hard, apart from the Spirit, and apart from choosing to obey the loving words of God, how easy is it to be holy in all you do? But see, when we're living in exile, watch this now. Most Christians, so the big number, supposedly, supposedly um, the, the numbers are so inflated about those who, who in America call themselves Christians. In urban settings, urban cities, less than 8% of American people looking at seven measures would be defined as followers of Christ. In Marion County, I think the number, the last number I saw is 24% of our county goes to church. And what they tell us is half the people who go to church are not born again. Which means you and I are the Bibles that most people will ever read. And that's why St. Peter says, be holy in all you do. Because how you are online, how you are in public, how you are in relationships, either honors him or dishonors him. And if we want to have an opportunity to flourish in this time, we need to say, I'm going to set my mind on the hope that is coming. One day things will be made right. And I'm going to choose in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to say, Lord, would you help me and you show me how my conduct would be loving. See, I'm going to put together Leviticus 19, all these rules. Listen to this, the Ten Commandments. If you kept, kept all of us kept the Ten Commandments, what would we have? We'd have the love of God and the love of neighbor. Right? Or, Jesus said, the way you want to be treated is the way you should treat other people. That's the gospel. Love God, love people. So we need to set our hearts and minds on what is to come. Remember how you think about tomorrow, affects today, and then say, Lord, would you help me to live in a way that represents you? So, for example, I have some friends who like to post different things, and because I am a brother in Christ, and these are brothers, friends of mine, who are both liberal and conservative, who are a multiracial group. Because I'm a brother, I can say to them, I don't know if that helped the cause of Christ. I'm not sure saying that really reflects Jesus. I said something two weeks ago that just threw a lot of people. Let me do it real quick again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are 89 chapters. Only one time does Jesus describe his heart. Chapter of Matthew 11, 38, 38 to 40, 29, 39, somewhere, Matthew 11. Jesus is describing judgment, and then he says this. Jesus describes, this is the o- listen, this the only place Jesus describes his own heart. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and there you will find rest for your souls. Now, gentle is not weak. And humble is not doormat. You want to be like Jesus? That's Jesus. That's why at the end of our series, at the end of this, we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why I said things like this the last two weeks Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. If your enemy hits you on one cheek, give him the other one as well. If your enemy takes your coat, give him your cloak as well. Why? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. How could Jesus say that? Because he knows what is coming. He knows the kingdom is partially here. It will come in fullness and all will be made right. And so he says to those of us who are called followers of Jesus, be holy as he is holy. Don't misunderstand me. Gentle is not sissy or whatever word you want to use, forgive me for pejoratives, and it's not doormat. Nobody can stand, no, I'll just give you one example. It's crazy. So when Jesus stands before Pilate, a governor, and says not a word to defend himself, that's a picture of gentle, and humble. And when he said he could call down 12 legions of angels, that's 144,000. You remember the story in the Old Testament. One angel, one angel, one angel. First Kings killed 138,000 soldiers. One angel. Whenever angels show up in scripture, what do they say? People are terrified and they say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Jesus is so Powerful. And yet he is so gentle. But when he comes back, the fullness of gentility will be expressed. And when he comes back, the picture of humility will be completely seen. And that's why I use this phrase over and over to myself. Kevin, listen, Kevin, listen to yourself, Kevin. Listen. The fires of heaven burn hotter than the fires of hell. Because God is so awesome. And this awesome one, who is beyond comprehension, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, says what? How are my kids? How you doing? And that's why when you stand before him, he's going to say, welcome home. Welcome home. You're back. You're finally home. Can you imagine that moment? It'll be the richest moment ever, beyond comprehension. So now I'm gonna ask you if you would, for just a moment, slide seven, would you be willing, if you're comfortable with social distancing, however it works, could you just take, let's take two or three minutes. How could living with hope and holiness encourage other people in this particular season? If you're comfortable, great. If not, pray or take a nap. On your marks, get set, go. Both rooms and at home for having conversation. Let me conclude with a story, and the story's focus is going to end up with this line. The story ends up with this line: "The profound truth is, you are what you contemplate." So, in order to live with hope and to be people of holiness, what I'm trying to suggest at the end of this talk now is to say we need to have eyes that are fixed on Jesus. In Scripture in music, in creation, however it is, but the, but the person of Jesus. So the, uh, and, uh, uh, a Chinese, uh, a woman who was born in Singapore, lived in New York, I'm going to butcher her, her Chinese name, uh, H-W-E-E, H-W-E-E Tan, T-A-N, is a writer, grew up in Singapore, lived in New York, and she was a writer. And she had written, in her second novel, she became uh, very much uh, depressed and filled with anxiety. This is prior to covid And so she found herself isolating and moving into pretty dangerous places. And because of, she literally could not text or call anybody. She was so anxious. Somehow, a thing popped in her head that she should go to Rome. And so she went to Rome and spent just a few days walking through, and this is what she writes. In Rome, I discovered the power of art and the way Christian artists, good artists, of different kinds, imit- are imitators of God. They create beautiful things. Beauty, she said, is anything that stills the soul and fills it with joy and peace and love. And in the midst of her depression, anxiety, and all that stuff, she started to gain a vision of beauty. In paying attention to beauty, she said, she became renewed. She said, as I looked at the objects, I began to understand a simple but profound truth. I became what I contemplate. Prior to going to Rome, I just contemplated all my anxiety and my depression and my fear. When I went to Rome, I began to contemplate beauty. She said from 2 Corinthians, St. Paul writes, We, beholding as a mirror, we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of Jesus. We're being transformed in the same image. And a writer says this verse uses the metaphor as God is a mirror. Jesus is a mirror. We are told to gaze at Jesus. As we see ourselves, we don't see ourselves. We see Jesus. As we look into the face of Jesus, we slowly become transformed. After gazing at a mirror in the face of Jesus long enough, we see ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus. We become the image of what we look at. She said, this is the profound truth. You are what your mind looks at. You are what you contemplate. And Peter says, set your hope on what is to come when Jesus returns. So I have a wondering. This is my wondering. Auditorium, chapel, homes here. As we become... A people who honor Christ, may I ask if you're starting to feel a nudge in these coming weeks, starting today, to recommit your life to holiness. Not keeping rules. It's keeping like Jesus. So I wonder if anyone would like to just make that acknowledgement. I'd, like I'd like to take another step in the journey of becoming like Jesus and living with holiness. I'm going to just stand and I'm going to pray over everybody who wants to stand. If you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus, please stand and I'm going to pray. Home, other rooms, wherever. Lord, we, we stand together with you and we don't quite understand how to live with hope. And we don't really understand what it means to be holy but you do and so we're recommitting our lives to you you pray from the depths of your own heart what is the Holy Spirit whispering to you right now what is he inviting you to receive Lord we pray together with faith with childlike trust that we're asking something that's according to your will and your love would you allow us to become more like you strengthen us, encourage us help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, we pray in Jesus name, amen would the rest of you please stand for our last song please, thank you